Whether you're in North or South Carolina or anywhere else in the world, enter the Cat Cave to listen to your favorite Carolina Panthers podcast as part of the Keep Pounding Podcast Network, where you can find shows like Embrace Debate and Inside the Vault, powered by the Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host, Ryan Frick, alongside uh, our co-host, Shannon Smith, as he is here every week with us. Shannon, how's everything going, man? Everything's going good. Unfortunately, them boys got us. Yeah, it's um listen, I don't know how else to start the show other than <laughs> Yeah, just another another bad week for the Carolina Panthers as they fall this time at home to the Dallas Cowboys, but here again the defense is not the problem. I feel like the defense is getting better every single week. They held Dak Prescott to under 200 yards passing. Uh, they held Tony Pollard to under 100 yards rushing, although Pollard did find the end zone. If you listen to tap outs and touchdowns, Pollard was on my hate or my, on my sell list last week <laughs> because yeah. the dude has been the most inconsistent and disappointing running back in fantasy football, and even he finds the end zone. Um, Shannon, what are your thoughts? I mean, like I said, the defense, they, they, held, him, they held him in check, but it just – I feel like looking at the stats alone – don't explain the 33 to 10 uh, loss here to the Dallas Cowboys. I can attribute bad penalties to that as well, too, because Carolina got some bad penalties. Um, the, the face mask and the horse collar tackle that was made, um, the, the consistent um, defensive holdings that we got as well, too. The penalties told the story, which was one thing. Then, of course, we had another pick six, you know, from Bryce Young. He had he threw another pick six. We had some inconsistent play from the passing game as well. And, of course, Micah Parsons, who took some digs at my 49ers, so I don't really like the guy from on one hand, but I you can't deny that he's not a beast. That dude's a beast, man. And he had a great game. On the defensive end, it was just, you know, Dallas was – they didn't really bring a lot of blitz packages. Their front four was just beating the lineup all day long. And that's just what did it. So, on the offensive end, and that Prescott, you know, had a good game. You know, I think the media is kind of getting off of that Prescott and getting on to Josh Allen a little more because Josh Allen has consistently been throwing interceptions this year. But Dak Prescott seems to shoulder a lot of the blame – for throwing inconsistent interceptions. But Josh Allen has led the league in interceptions the past few years. But no one says a word about that. But you yeah. know that. I mean, if you look at the Cowboys' offensive stat line, again, we mentioned Prescott under 200 passing. He did find the end zone twice. Mm -hmm. um, Pollard under 100 yards, but he did find the end zone, one, end zone once. Um, Brandon Cook's your leading receiver in this game with 42 yards receiving. Yeah. Uh, but CD Lamb was the one that got in the end zone uh, here again. Um, it seems but, like. But I will say this, though. But I will say this, and I forgot to say this here. Uh, uh, the offense, uh, the running game, I think kind of exploited Dallas's defense, which was one thing yeah. because Chuba Hubbard was getting some yards. Miles Sanders was getting yards on the ground. I mean, the running game was what was doing it for the offense, although they got into the um, end zone via the pass. Yeah. The running game did very, very well and was a good factor today because 
until the tail end of the second quarter, it was a manageable game for the Panthers. They were only down seven. Yeah, it was close. But, yeah, but then that touchdown came – that timely touchdown came right before the end of the first half, and that's where the snowball came. Yep. Where the where the wheels fell off, as they say. Yeah, uh, before we move on to the offense, I do want to talk about the offense and the run game specifically. Yes. Um, uh, when you look at it, the, the Dallas Cowboys, they were able to stay on the field 7 of 16 on third downs, yep. and they, they, they played as, as close to perfect football as they can. Only five penalties for 45 yards. Didn't kick themselves in the foot too much in this game. Uh, but like you said, going over to the Panthers' offense, uh, Bryce Young, unfortunately to say, doing more Bryce Young things. Yeah. Threw for under, under 150 yards in this game. Did have a touchdown, but he did have that pick six. We're gonna we're gonna hold off on talking about what the offensive line couldn't do for him. Uh, well, let's let's talk. Let's first go to the running game because we saw a reemergence of Miles Sanders in this game. Yes, almost almost a, a perfect carry share between Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders. Chuba Hubbard, fifty seven yards on ten carries, almost six yards a, a carry. Miles Sanders actually got an extra carry, eleven carries for fifty seven yards five, uh, or I'm sorry for fifty yards, four point five yards per carry for Miles Sanders. So. With Frank Wright assuming play calling again this week, um, we saw a, more of a dedication to the run game, which is what we've been asking for from the jump. Like, if you don't establish a run, we talked about it on this show last week. Yes, we that did. If you do not have a balanced offense, you are going to continue to get blown out in games like this. Yes. The only difference is this week, they weren't balanced because they couldn't throw the ball. I mean, 16 completions. For 122, 123 yards. I don't know the, the the quick math there, but that's not a lot of yards. I mean, yeah. it, that that feels like a lot of dump offs, yes. a lot of short crossing pa- patterns, a lot of short slants. Yes. Um, Adam Thielen doing Adam Thielen things in this game, eight catches, seventy four yards. But again, when you look at what this offense has struggled doing all season long, extending drives. Five for 15 on third down. That's basically one out of every three third downs that you get. Uh, And the penalties killed the Panthers. Eight penalties for 90 yards. You alluded to it a minute ago. Um, Yeah, you talked about Dallas's front four getting behind the line the whole game. Bryce Young took seven sacks in this game. I asked a few weeks ago, uh, is it time to see Andy Dalton come in and just sort of salvage the season? And you made the point that Andy Dalton doesn't have the the mobility, he doesn't have the the creativity with his feet, um, that Andy Dalton will be drinking through a straw. Um, listen, it's hard to believe that the Panthers ran for 107 yards between their two running backs, but couldn't protect Bryce Young. Watching this game, did you see this as a Bryce Young holding the ball too long, or was it just... Whenever they, whenever Dallas knew a pass was coming, were they just all over it and just absolutely all over Bryce Young? I would have to say it's a mixture of both. I mean, because the thing about it is right here, and you know, one thing that I did do today was watch the whole episode of Believe in Panthers. So shout out to those guys, Skylar Callahan, Jay Stu, and uh, the man Des Johnson. Des, it was it was good, man. It was a good episode. And Jonathan Stewart hit the nail on the head in Jurassic Park and with the Raptor in the kitchen. That was basically what was going on the whole time in there. That was and and even better, 
uh, Des brought up the question that you asked about, was it time for Andy Dalton to assume this offense and save Bryce Young for next year? Because it just looked like he's just getting battered out there. And there was an argument for why they should and why they shouldn't. But the, the thing about it is, though, is that I think that Bryce is basically he's in no man's land. Dallas wasn't really stacking a box that much, which was a, which was one thing, because I can understand you getting sacked when you have seven and eight men in the box. It, it, that's that's tough to block right there, especially considering the fact you've got maybe if you're in a two tight end package then you'll probably have a running back in the backfield. So that might be seven guys trying to block eight. And, and that's hard to do. Or it might be eight on eight. And, you know, they just lose the battle. Or they stack that ninth guy. They bring that safety coming in on the blitz. Who knows? But what I think the most is what's going on, and these guys brought it up on Bleeding Panthers, is the fact that Frank Wright came from a spread offense. He'll run, he comes from a spread offense background. But you got you got Thomas Brown who was power running the whole time. You got these guys that are doing power running. And then you got Bryce Young, who when he was at Alabama was running bootlegs and uh, fake play action, like was doing run run actions, extending plays with his feet and throwing on the run. He has the arm where he can do that. But it just looks like the offense is not running a scheme that is catered to that. You know, you're not getting the best out of your quarterback. You want him to be straight drop back, but he might not be doing that. He's five foot six, man. So yep. give him some vision. Give him a chance to use his feet and throw the ball on the run because, you know, and they made the illusion to, you know, he threw that interception with throwing the ball off his back foot. You know, Cam got away with that, but Cam is six foot six and 250 pounds. He's got power. Bryce ain't got that type of torso strength. And there's no disrespect to that. It's just, I think, for one, never playing quarterback. This come from a guy who never played quarterback in the pros. I think throwing off your back foot as a quarterback is a no-no anyway. Mm-hmm. Because it takes, it takes the velocity off the ball. And, and it's, just, it's just asking for trouble. Defensive players love that. Defensive players eat off of that. Some of your best corners in the game, you know, Patrick Sertan, um, uh, um, Jalen Ramsey, those guys right there would love to see those, would love to see plays like that, love to see balls thrown like that because it's easy interceptions, it's pick sixes all day long. And that's what Bryce has been doing. And, you know, you got to give that man some vision, give him some real estate and let him throw the ball. But they want him to go straight drop back and they're stacking the boxes like crazy. Mm-hmm. And this offensive line is not catered for a pass for a good pass rush. So I'm glad you mentioned it because if you remember a few weeks ago when I was before the trade deadline begging the Panthers to trade away Miles Sanders, saying that, listen, he didn't fit the system. Yep. He's a great running back, a very talented guy, but he just didn't fit the system, which is why Chuba Hubbard was getting the bulk of the carries, why Chuba Hubbard was leading the team in carries, why why he was he was great out of the backfield because he fit this offense. He fit this team. And so to your point, like, yeah, for this, this doesn't seem like the, the type of offense that fits Bryce Young. And I, I wanted to get to this question like second when after after the 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 you know the recap of the game, but like it, it brings me to a question. If are we looking at coaching changes in the offseason? Like there are a lot of people out in sports media, let's say, that are 
now questioning the decision of hiring Frank Reich in the first place. There was, I was listening to a show here locally in Greenville, South Carolina, where uh, somebody somebody texted into a radio show and basically said, as a lifelong Colts fan, I I told my friend that Frank Wright was not that guy. Uh, he was he was not the right guy for this team. Uh, pun intended. Um, I'm just listen. I'm just trying to be frank here, okay? Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, are we are we looking at coaching changes? Are we looking at a one and done coaching staff? Considering that this team doesn't have a number one pick next season, I really think. And once again, when I was watching Believe in Panthers. A lot of the, those guys, those three guys were saying that they didn't want the coordinators to go. The coordinators looked like they could be doing something. But the way that I see things here is you have a collection of guys who came from different schemes and they just cannot settle on the scheme that they're going to have. And as a head coach, you got to instill what is best for your players, you have your players that are going to be your primetime players, your performers, if you will. And Tim Grover wrote a wonderful book called Relentless, where you have coolers, closures and cleaners. And usually your cleaner players, your guys that are consistently great on a daily basis. If you have a coach that is a cleaner coach, he knows to give it to his cleaners, give it to his guys that are going to perform day in and day out, cater that system to those guys. With this being the first year staff. You don't know who your cleaners are going to be. You don't know who you're going to have, but you better have a good um, say so or a good idea of it. When training camp comes around, you got guys like Adam Thielen who you're underutilizing. Thielen's doing pretty much everything on that offense. He's the only one I think that's actually playing on this offense. Yeah. I think he's the only one that's playing. And because he's got a resurgence after sitting in Minnesota behind Justin Jefferson. He was a good receiver at that time, but he wasn't at his full potential because Jefferson was killing it and doing the gritty in the end zone almost every chance he got because he got to the end zone consistently. So that to me is very important. But Thielen's having his uh, his resurgence here. But I really think that if the coaches do change, you may lose the coordinators if Frank Reich is gone. You may do that. But with that being said, I think that if this squad doesn't win – another game you might have to reconsider it because it looks like these guys can't come together with one full scheme for this squad shannon it's hard for me to envision a scenario where this coaching staff is fully intact for next season i mean it's very very rare for an entire coaching staff or for a head coach to be one and done in the NFL. I mean, it really, it's, it's, it's really rare anywhere. I mean, how many college coaches outside of the university of Auburn, do you see allowing a coach to go a year, maybe a year and a half before they finally say, you know what, this just isn't the guy let's move on. I don't, you don't see it. And I mean, Carolina cleaned house after the one in 15 season that they had, they cleaned house after that. That's a fair thing to do when you're one in 15. Yes. And right now we are on pace to be one in 16. Yes. And yeah, I mean, you you can't even though it's a one year and I know that there are people out there that are like, oh, it's one year. It's one year. It's one year. It's the first time happening. I really think that Frank Reich was a was a um, morale type of hire, meaning that, oh, he was the inaugural quarterback. Why not 
have a feel-good story of an inaugural quarterback going back home and coaching this squad. Yeah, what's there to lose, right? I think that's what it was. I mean, I really think it was. I hate to be that way because to be real about it, though, it's – I mean, it's hard to be the head coach in the NFL. Let's be real about it. It's hard to be that coach. But yet and still, I mean, I understand you want to get want to boost morale. I know Dave Tepper wants his own guy. That's the reason why Ron Rivera was was thrown out and Matt Rule came in. Regardless of how you feel about that hire, regardless how you feel, I can understand why Dave Tepper felt that way. I get it. But what did it do to you? It did absolutely nothing for you. Now you go and get a guy from the first team who just happens to be the head coach now, who happens to be a head coach, and you put him there and you get this result. I I think it was good for headlines, but was it good for your football team? I, I still struggle with this. You've got, at the beginning of last season, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, and Baker Mayfield. Now, the Bears are not a good football team. No. But DJ Moore has been the shining star of that offense, with or without Justin Fields on the on, on the field. Yes. Christian McCaffrey is the Pro Bowl running back that he was every year he was with the Panthers. And we are we are we are expecting him to have more than likely a uh, a, another Pro Bowl season in route to possibly another Super Bowl run for the 49ers. It could be. Which, Panthers fans, I've never seen a, a team's fan base rally behind a player that is no longer with their with their team. Mm-hmm. Like, Panthers fans want Christian McCaffrey to get a ring. Yes. That's how much Carolina loves CMC. Yes. And then you look at, you look at Baker Mayfield. Now, granted, there's been times when Baker Mayfield looked like Baker Mayfield last, yeah. you know, this season. Yes. But he's also at times looked like the reason why Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns drafted him number one overall. Mm-hmm. Last year, we had a team made up of Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, and a question mark at quarterback. So mm-hmm. last year, the question was, I mean, it, it, there was no question marks. We had, we had the number one receiver. We had some good, uh, you know, uh, secondary receivers, some, some good, you know, you know fit, fit the piece. Uh, fit the pieces in the puzzle receivers. Uh, but we were only short a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, we mortgaged the farm. Yes. To let go of, to not only, not only to let go of Christian McCaffrey, like we got a lot for Christian McCaffrey, but then we mortgaged it again and gave away the best, the most talented, the most dynamic player on your offense to go and start over. With with Bryce Young, I just don't see a scenario. If hindsight being twenty twenty, that the Panthers couldn't have not given up the the, the field, mm-hmm. not given up, not mortgage, not mortgage the farm, mm-hmm. maybe traded up to, for the number four pick. Yeah, maybe traded up for the number, you know, maybe the number five pick. And there's still going to be somebody service. Listen, Will Levis is starting for Tennessee right now. I'm not saying Will Levis is better than than Bryce Young. Don't get it twisted. No. But if you don't get rid of DJ Moore and you have a Will Levis throwing him the ball, yeah, 
Oh, man. I mean, Will Levis could be Offensive Rookie of the Year if he would have started enough games. Yeah, I mean, I just and, – and, again, I, I don't want to hear the tired argument about, oh, C.J. Stroud was a better quarterback. Listen, don't, I don't want to hear that. No, nope. I mean, C.J. Stroud would have been, been struggling behind this offensive line just as much as Bryce Young. I don't care that he's bigger. He would he would – he would not be putting up the numbers he's putting up in Houston. Well, Levis would be having trouble with this offense right here. You could plug any quarterback in there. I don't care who you are. You can go back in time and take Johnny U and Fran Tarkenton and, and Dan Marino and put them on this offense right here. I guarantee you they would have the same numbers, if not worse. So let's let's kill all that because I don't yeah. want to hear that because D'Amico Ryan's was put was the homeboy. Once again, this is the same thing, same scenario. It was the same scenario, and that's the reason why D'Amico Ryan's went to Houston was yeah. because he played for the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans themselves wanted D'Amico Ryan's, but the only difference is D'Amico Ryan's had success where he was as a defensive coordinator. He had success. Frank Reich didn't have as much success in Indianapolis. But once again, you plug the homeboys in there. But this squad – was centered around D'Amico Ryans. This squad came together for their coach, and D'Amico Ryans had something to do with that with his players, and look at the outcome that they're getting. It's that locker room that you have to get under control as a head coach. I don't care what anybody says. If you have the locker room morale, if you have it in that locker room, hardly no team can touch you. San Francisco has it. You can tell that they have it because George Kittle – is heart and soul of that locker room, regardless of what type of game he has, he's heart and soul in that locker room. You can go to pretty much any team and you can find the heart and soul in that locker room. Tua is the heart and soul in Miami. Yep. Even Aaron Rodgers is hurt. Is the heart and soul in New York Jets locker room? I'm pretty sure he is. I mean, you, you don't have that locker room presence in Carolina. And I think that's what's hurting Carolina to death is because there's really no true leadership player-wise. Yeah. I think they want each other. They're going at each other's throats right now. I, I don't see anyone on that team. Adam Thielen may be trying in there, but they're looking at him like, who are you? you I mean, I – yeah, to your point, I think that's the reason why they brought Adam Thielen and Hayden Hurst in yes. there is to bring that leadership. And for whatever reason, they're not doing it real quick. Uh, I love watching George Kittle throw up the Cerro Miedo or Cerro yeah. Miedo. Uh, <laughs> if you're not a wrestling fan, you don't get it. Uh, there is a wrestler, <laughs> Pentagon Jr. Yes, uh, sir. Otherwise known as Pentagon El Cerro Miedo. Uh, Cerro, Cerro, Miedo, uh, Cerro Miedo, meaning uh, no fear. And yes. he throws up like the Cerro Miedo when he does stuff. And George well. Kittle is a huge, uh, huge wrestling fan. I actually met him at RussellCon in New York City a few years ago when I won my fantasy league, I approached him and I was like, hey, are you George Kittle? He's like, yeah. And I was like, um, so I need to thank you because I won my fantasy league after I traded for you in week three. And he's like, well, where's my cut? I was like, dude, you make more money. I said, like, you make more money talking this sentence than I made in my fantasy. Come on. Um, but good stuff there. So so let's get, let's get back to Panthers talk because – the one thing that we expected to see, this was a growing year. Yes, we wanted to see growth and improvement with this team, which begs the question, do we see improvement week to week by this Panther squad? We know that a couple weeks ago, they finally got their first win. Mm -hmm. And we know the defense has been playing well enough to keep the Panthers in games, at least for a little while. 
until, again, when you have an offense going, uh, what was it, five for 15 on third down, and you've got the defense on the field the whole game, yes, you're going to run into issues. Do you see improvement from this team week to week? I see small strides. It's not totally out of the question saying that they're, that the squad is not improving. There are certain areas there are. Special teams is uh, doing very well. Um, special teams is, but it's a field position game. But I think that more of the mistakes and the blunders are overshadowing the improvement that you're seeing on the defensive side of the ball because the defense is uh, holding this squad together. Offensively, it's up and down. I, I really don't – I see small, small improvements, but I think that the blunders are overshadowing them. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, Bryce Young throws another pick six. The fact that you can't get hustle plays out of these guys because – I see players standing around a good bit. They're standing around. I mean, you got to make hustle plays. Guys got to throw blocks. Guys have to be able to chase down a guy during an interception. You got to do the intangible things. And I'm not seeing the intangible stuff on this squad. It's not because of, I don't think it's a fact of not knowing. I don't think it's a fact of not trying. It's just a fact of, you're not getting that quality out of your coaching staff. Your coaching staff has got to get your guys going into that direction. And I'm not trying to throw it all on the coaches because coaches don't play the game. Players play the game. Coaches just give direction and they be coaches. But the thing about it is, is that you got to light a fire under those guys to where they want to make these plays. So you mentioned a second ago that there's plays where you're, you're seeing a lack of effort. Mm -hmm. uh, the pick six that the Cowboys had this week, the defender, and I can't say his name off the top of my head, but he leads the league. I think he holds the record now for the most pick sixes in a, in a single season. But you're right. He was on his back, and yes. nobody caught him. He landed on his back with the interception, and nobody caught him for the time to run it back. Um, one, could, one could allude from everything that we just said, the lack of effort, the, the, the inability to, to chase guys down, the, the, what we are seeing – on the field, one could draw the conclusion that the coaches have lost their locker room. Do you see, I've already asked, do you think we see a coaching change in the offseason? Mm -hmm. Do you see a scenario where they let go of Frank right before the season's even over? They shouldn't. They shouldn't. Wait to the end of the season and go from there. I don't think now is the time for that because it would be the second year in a row that you've done that. And that's going to really lose your fan base, I believe. You know, this is the second year in a row that you cut a coach before the end of the season. Frank Wright lasts a little longer because they waited until the this, part, this point of the season. But I don't think you should do it. I think afterwards you should really look at everything, although it's going to be painful to watch, painful to relive. But I think that you've got to let these guys finish out the year. If you're if you're looking to change a head coach, let them finish out the year and then just go from there. I think everybody kind of is expecting is expecting it. They're like, okay, when are we gonna do it? End of the season. Okay, everybody, here we go. That Monday morning when all the heads roll, 
that Monday morning, you know, I can't remember what they call it. I can't remember what it is that they call it. That is it Black Monday? Something like that. I mean, I yeah. probably say so. When all the coaches, when the coaches that you know, the heads are going to roll, that's when you're pretty much holding the basket for the guillotine. Yep. For all the heads, to catch all the heads. And I think yeah. Frank will probably be there. I think he will. So, um, having said all that, because we're coming towards the end of the show, um, the next question would be, Looking at the remaining schedule, we're at the Titans this weekend, at the Bucks, uh, then we're at the Saints. So we get um, we get three straight road games here, mm-hmm. already with only one win on the season before. You get two home games in the Falcons and Packers, and then you travel to Jacksonville, not that far of a, of a, of a trip, um, before they finish the season on the Bucks. What's the best case? I mean, what's the best case scenario for this team? I mean, do you see the do you see the Panthers winning more than what they've won already? I think that, I mean, I would focus on Tennessee the most. I would, this week right here is the laser focus because you have a winnable game in Tennessee. You do. Um, The Green Bay game looks like it could be winnable. Um, You probably might end up stealing one from either Tampa Bay or New Orleans if they're lucky and they can get it through their thick skulls that they're playing a defense, they're playing their division and that they could play party crash to one of these guys because Carolina has played party crash years ago. What's up, Matt Moore? So there's been times where they've done that. So I think their focus could be let's crash these guys' parties. Let's let's mess up with Jacksonville. Let's mess with Jacksonville a little bit. Let's let's mess with Tampa Bay a little bit. Let's let's mess with the Saints because they could win the division, but one of them, we hold their fate in their hands. Yeah. Well, let's. You talked about it. We get the Tennessee Titans on the road this week. Tennessee only a three and a half point favorite at home Sunday, one o'clock kickoff. You said that this is a winnable game. Do you see the Panthers pulling the upset this weekend? I would really hope that they would, but I honestly believe that Tennessee is probably going to find a way to win it at the last minute with the heroics from the field goal unit. I think Tennessee will win by three. I'm not going to put the hat on this time because I put the hat on and looked dumb the past couple of times, except for one time. I got it right, but the past two times I haven't. I think Tennessee is going to do it. I hate to say that, but D-Hop might have a little something to do with it because he's holding everybody accountable for not taking him, and I think Carolina was one of those squads that he's holding accountable. Yep. So I would say that. He's holding my 49ers accountable, but that ain't going to happen, dog. You might as well go ahead and uh, sleep on that when it ain't happening. Yeah. But three for Tennessee. I think Tennessee wins by at least, at least 10 to 14 points. I just – I, I I have lost faith in this offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can they can try to run the ball on Tennessee, but they're this defensive line or this offensive line gave up seven sacks to the Cowboys. They're giving up multiple sacks per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the head coach in Tennessee, Mike Vrabel, is a defensive minded coach, so he's he going to know. Not to mention he had experience coaching against Frank Wright in Indianapolis, so he's already he's already got some some games game plan and and, and games game video. On what Frank Wright likes to do, I think I think this is this is gonna this is gonna get ugly quick uh, for the Carolina Panthers this weekend. And I hate to say it, but that's the way it goes. Uh, Shannon, anybody you want to shout out before we sign off for the evening? Shout out to the Believing Panthers guys uh, today: uh, Skylar Callahan, Desmond Johnson, and Jay Stu, the Panther legend. I love the show today. I had a lot of fun and. I had a, a lot of fun watching and interacting with them. So shout out those three guys right there. Keep doing what you're doing, Believe in Panthers. 
Good stuff. And Believe in Panthers, you can find on the Keep Pounding Podcast Network, powered by the Fans First Sports Network. If you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Tapouts and TDs, Facebook.com slash Tapouts and Touchdowns. That's my other podcast where I do wrestling shows on Monday, live football shows every Wednesday at 8 o'clock on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you have not gone and done so already, go to Facebook.com slash Tapouts and Touchdowns. Give the page a follow. We are officially three quarters of the way to our first thousand fans. Uh, a thousand followers, I should say. So really excited about that. Um, and excited about the upcoming weekend because this is Thanksgiving week. We've got three games on Thursday. We've got a game on Black Friday. And it is rivalry weekend in the world of college football. So if you are depressed about watching another Carolina Panthers loss this Sunday, there will be plenty of football that will take your mind off of it until the game kicks off. But until then... You may now exit the cat cave, but make sure you listen to more content on the Tobacco Road Sports Radio's YouTube channel and more Carolina Panthers-themed podcasts on the Keep Pounding Podcast Network, powered by the Fans First Sports Network. For Shannon Smith, I'm Ryan Frick, and we'll see you next week right here inside the cat cave.